I'm delighted to welcome Stephen Medcalf to the events podcast. Stephen is directing the final opera production of the year, Ned Roram's opera Our Town, which is based on the play by Thornton Wilder. This production will be the European premiere and it opens on Tuesday the 29th of May with four performances in the Silk Street Theatre. So welcome Stephen, um, or should I say welcome back, because you spent many years on staff here, didn't you? I did, more than I care to, <laughs> to remember, yes. And how is it to be back? It's wonderful. I love working with students and, you know, this is, I think, fairly, well, I would say, in my opinion, certainly the opinion of many people, one of the best, if not the best opera course in this country. And so it's a huge pleasure to be back working with such a high standard students and and a course that's so well organised and so well structured. And do you come back quite frequently? Or Since I left, I think this is my third time back in about six years. So, you know, every couple of years seems to be a fairly regular yeah. slot. Yeah. <laughs> um, this time you're directing a contemporary opera, which most people probably aren't familiar with, um, because it hasn't been over here before, but they may know the original Thornton Wilder play. Can you tell us about the opera and how it reflects the play? Yes, I think the opera is an extremely faithful um, version of the play. Um, and the play was written in 1938. The opera is, was written five years ago. But I think it's an extremely good version. I think it adds something uh, to the play. Um, it's a bit like, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream or, um, I don't know, uh, Lulu or any of these, or Wozzeck, any of these operas based on plays. You can't say that they're... Because the original play is such a masterpiece, you can't say that the opera in any way transcends the play, but it certainly is a valid version. It draws attention to certain aspects of the play. Um, I mean, essentially, the, the fundamental theme of both play and opera is, as Thornton Wilder himself said, words to the effect of, it's an attempt to find, to place a value beyond all price on the smallest events of our everyday life. And he goes on to say, um, in a famous introduction to the play, he goes on to say that he made this claim as absurd as possible by setting all the events and tiny events against the background of space and time and huge dimensions. So you get all the way through the opera this contrast between the tiny little minutiae of living and the kind of put in a, in a context of time and space. Um, I suppose... And I think, I mean, I think, you know, it's a deliberate paradox. So uh, actually he does succeed, I think, in, in exactly what, doing exactly what he suggests, which is to say that actually tiny details of life are so important, although they seem to be insignificant in the great scheme of things. And yet they have everybody, every individual's experience is unique to them and so therefore very valid. At the same time, it's tempting to see your own little experience in the context of, you know, the universe and feel very insignificant. So this kind of paradox goes on all the way through and is explored all the way through the opera. And the other thing that it's really about is the kind of indestructibility of family life um, and how the importance of family life. And I suppose ultimately the most important thing is, which is, it's about, you know, living in the moment. It's about appreciating life as you live it. And that we're all far too busy rushing around, uh, you know, involved with our work, with, with our running off households, and we never really take time to actually sit, look at each other, and communicate properly. I mean, that's the centre of the last act. And, the, and I have to say, the opera, you know, doesn't vary in a sense from those themes of the play, but it does add a kind of, seems to me, it first of all enhances the, uh, the romantic side of things, the relationship, the central relationship between George and Emily, 
the young couple is definitely expanded in the opera. And of course, music is a great vehicle for creating the romance between them. And the other aspect is in Act 3, um, we're presented with characters who are called the dead. And because in a play, it's hard to give them a unique voice. But of course, in, the, in an opera, you can give them their very own musical world, their own musical, their own sound world, which I think adds a great deal to what otherwise in the play, perhaps rather harder to present. So... Um, <coughs> Ned Roram, yes. the composer, is yeah. mainly known for song yeah. composition and setting words to music. Yeah. Um, and in the Wild Estate turned down other composers yeah. who wanted um, to adapt our town into Bernstein, opera. Bernstein, I think, Copeland, amongst yeah. others. Um, so how would you describe his music in this opera? And also, how is it for you to work with? Well, uh, first of all, it's incredibly... The text is incredibly sensitively and well set. Uh, there are very few issues of balance. The orchestration is extremely... As you would imagine, somebody who basically specialises in writing songs, uh, I think it's uh, extremely well set for the voices and, as I say, very sensitive and very characterful. It's, I suppose, has a very strong... Naturally, a very strong American character. And what does American character consist in, I suppose, in 20th century music? A bit bluesy, a bit jazzy, uh, a little bit of a kind of spiritual sense. But there's a lot of hymn tunes there. Um, and he actually, and quite a bit of pastiche thrown in as well, because there are little bits from Handel and bits from Mendelssohn which are used deliberately uh, in terms of the wedding, uh, bits from Mendelssohn's wedding march, and uh, Handel's Largo is used in places. The overall character of it is, is as I say, kind of folksy bit American, very beautiful, very lyrical, and extremely approachable, I would say. So consequently, um, and, and, and very well written, very good for a young cast to do. Because there's nothing that's too huge, nothing too vocally demanding. I suppose Emily's got the biggest and perhaps the most demanding role vocally, but they're, they're wonderful characters, um, and it's yeah, it's a lovely piece to work with. I must say, I'm, I think we've all been surprised at quite how much we're enjoying doing it. Uh, it's really not remotely uh, difficult music. And you mentioned obviously um, it's a young cast. Um, mm. Does contemporary opera bring different challenges for young singers, do you think? Well, absolutely. I mean, even though it's it's not particularly atonal, it's still difficult. There are still challenging rhythms, remembering the notes, finding the pictures of the notes, all these things much harder than when you have, you know, a straightforward 19th century opera or a bel canto opera where you have, you know, clear sense of structure. Here, uh, particularly you find there are moments where they're having little difficulties with pitching their notes and stuff. All the normal things associated with contemporary opera isn't as hard as, as a lot, I must say. But it is still a challenge for them and it requires them to really use their musicianship. Um, and they're singing in English and they're singing with an American accent because the, the play has such an American quality. And I probably should have said that it's, it's set in a small town in New Hampshire at the turn of the century. Um, it's given a context because the stage manager is from the eternal present, if you like. He's from now. And he presents all the events in this little town um, as if they were uh, events of any little town anywhere in the world, really. Um, and so it has a kind of small town, rather quaint, potentially sentimental atmosphere. And one has to be very careful not to overdo the sentiment with it. That Thornton Wilder himself was quite upset with the early productions because quite often he said, people said, there's a very nice quote, I keep reading this as some kind of quaint, hayseed comedy. Uh, and um, in fact, what I wrote was, it said, honest, sincere, 
a sentimental hayseed comedy and what I wrote was damn pretentious is what he said and I know what he means because he really is exploring quite challenging philosophical issues it's not it's not um, it's not particularly a psychological drama the characters are very emblematic actually and he's really interested in these philosophical notions that I started off talking about about how we relate to the universe do you, as a director, do you find that you direct contemporary opera in, differently to directing a kind of kind of classic classic piece of repertoire? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I suppose if you're doing a new piece, you feel less obliged to try and come up with some incredibly original concept. I mean, I do believe we we have studied we studied the score and the. The, there is a libretto, of course, that was written, written by Jamie McClatchy, who's an American poet, which is, I have to say, quite skillfully drawn out of the original play, with a lot of the original play text unchanged. And he's quite discreetly inserted a few rhymes here and there, which I have to say, uh, quite clever. And, and they do help with the, some of the uh, more lyrical aspects of the piece without disturbing too much. Um, and so there's the libretto, which, uh, which is from the from the opera, plus the play is a great source of information. And we've actually added some elements, aspects of the play that weren't included by the librettist, which I hope strengthens the piece uh, even more. And we've done exactly what we were, what the, what the stage directions instructs, which is that the artists are to mime okay. and not to use props. I said almost completely adhere to that. There's a few tricks, a few surprises later on in the opera, but essentially... The whole idea of the mime is that Thornton Wilder believed that if you used a lot of props and specific objects, um, you know, you, you immediately locate something in time and space to a very particular moment, and you kind of lose its universal quality. And he, he would point back to Shakespeare and say, you know, Shakespeare, they only ever used chairs and practically nothing else, and they didn't have scenery, so we don't have any scenery. Um, and the whole idea is to really engage the audience's imagination. Of course, in Shakespeare, you can move in a second from one part of the world to another, and indeed in, from a, an exterior to an interior world. You go into the, uh, to the artist's mind into a soliloquy. Um, so Wilder always said, in, in, in 1930, it was regarded as quite you know, avant-garde approach to theatre, but he said, no, it's not at all. It's just what Shakespeare was doing. It's what Moliere was doing. And he quoted the famous Moliere quote, all you need is two planks and a passion, you know passion for what you do um, and that inspired him the, the thing that I find also very interesting is, is there are a lot of parallels with Brecht who was writing at the same time and I don't believe he was directly influenced by Brecht but the whole notion of the alienation effect that some people may know about where you deliberately try to keep the audience at a distance and you try and try to stop them being so involved uh, and emotionally in a piece that they lose their critical faculties is to actually so that's why Brecht used things like narrators surtitles, uh, screens, um, and uh, he, lots of uh, announcements and little documentary elements, if you like, in his dramas, was to, was to constantly keep the audience's critical faculty because he believed, of course, that theatre was a political tool and that people should be learning, it should be didactic. Well, Wilder didn't share Brecht's politics, but he certainly wanted the audience to... It is quite didactic, his work, and, it, and he wants an audience to think and to reflect on their own lives... Uh, and I think he really succeeds in doing that. He makes you really makes you think how you live your own life mm. by the end of the opera. Excellent. Well, this is the European premiere of the opera, as we yeah. mentioned. It was composed in two thousand and five, um, and it's received plenty of performances in the US and mainly by smaller opera companies. Why do you think it's taken a while to come over to Europe? Is it perhaps that 
contrast of the way the audience is treated? Well, you know, I don't know how successful the... Because I haven't deliberately haven't seen them. Haven't, we, from what one has read, people have found it a little bit sort of take it or leave it. They kind of say, well, why did he bother really to set the play? We are having a very different experience. We think it's rather wonderful. Uh, I think it's an extremely uh, worthwhile piece to do. So I'm just wondering if there's... And also there's a certain amount of snobbery because you know what it's like in the main companies. They want to do something... If it's a new piece, they want to commission it themselves or they want to have something really avant-garde or, you know... But this is... It's, it's very approachable. It's not, you know, earth-shakingly modern, but it it has a great integrity to it. And I think it's well worth while doing and maybe, who knows... It, we might convince some people with this production that it's really worth doing elsewhere in this country or, and indeed in Europe. But, you know, if you think about all the contemporary opera that's done, it's nearly always commissioned. Yeah. You know, and that's and they wouldn't look at another piece that they didn't commission, the ENO or the Royal Opera there. That's essentially how it works. So that's why it's hard to get an airing for that kind of piece. And that's why it's great that we're doing it here. Well, you know, obviously because actually they're terrific roles for students. Yeah. And secondly, because it really is an interesting piece and a new piece and something that the students themselves can come to totally fresh because they haven't even heard a recording of the orchestration. So, And what some of them just were saying to me right now, funnily enough, in a rehearsal, they were having the Zitz program as we speak, some of them said to me, you know, it's really been so refreshing to do a piece where you've never heard it before because you can't be influenced by anybody, you know. If you're doing Mozart, inevitably you listen to so many recordings and you you have so many things in your head about what you might do or what you might not do, whereas now it's you come with it completely open-mindedly without prejudice. And that's a really good experience for them. Yeah, it's great practice for the profession, isn't it? It is. Um, Well, finally, um, how are you finding working with this cohort of Guildhall students? Because you've worked with all sorts of people here, haven't you? I mean, generally the, the standard is always high here, but... I think it's fair to say that this is possibly um, one of the best years I've worked with. And I have worked with about 15 years, so it goes back a long way. (laughs) And, you know, every two or three years, you get a particularly strong group. I think they're very well balanced. They're a good, they're a very close group, close-knit group. Uh, There's, um, I think they work together terribly well. They're a good ensemble, and it's a very ensemble opera. So, no, it's been a huge pleasure, and I'm sure that we'll see plenty of them going and making a very successful career. Brilliant. Well, it's been lovely to talk to you, Stephen. Um, We are very much looking forward to Our Town, which opens on Tuesday the 29th of May. Four performances in the Silk Street Theatre, selling fast, so get in there quick. Thank you very much. Thank you.